Capturing off-camera experiences of everyday harassment, photographer Eliza Hatch retelling stories on film in the hope of giving women the courage to speak out. They were getting closer and closer and it was very uncomfortable. The thing that everybody told me was not to say anything. One of them kept on staring at me and then later he sat next to me and started touching my stuff and he tried to put his hand under my shorts. You know, no one intervened. She was only 15 when she was walking home from school and was approached by a man in a van. Um, I noticed that he actually parked up the van, got out of the van and opened the doors. Uh, the conductor tapped my ass. And they carried on following me. His hand was going up my skirt and I, my body somehow froze and I was in full-blown panic mode. Cheer up, love, a phrase sometimes shouted at women on the street. They're photographed in places where harassment has happened. Catcalling to curb crawling, this campaign covers it all. Hello and welcome to the Cheer Up Love podcast with me, your host, Eliza Hatch. Joining me today is Dr. Dan Guinness, who is the director of an initiative I'm 100% behind, the Good Lad Initiative. I have been following the work of the Good Lad Initiative for a few years now and I really wanted the opportunity to speak to one of the few organisations who are actively doing the work. Good Lad Initiative specialises in helping men and boys with positive, equal gender relationships. They do this by running workshops with groups and individuals of all genders and backgrounds with aims to reach men and boys who aren't typically engaged in conversations around gender. Their aims are to show boys that they can do more than meet the minimum standards of society and can support and promote change in their communities. Good Lad Initiative are a positive force for change whose work is feminist, non-judgmental, intersectional and rooted in women's experiences. And in my opinion, are an organisation which is so needed in today's world. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Dan Guinness onto the show. And just to trigger warn, we will be discussing an experience of sexual harassment later in the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. How have you been doing? Up and down if we're, if we're being honest with each other. Mm-hmm. But certainly we've had some, uh, some positive moments and uh, had a nice start to the day. Uh, so yeah, I, I, think, I think today I can answer that I'm doing, I'm doing well. Well, amazing. Thank you for being, thank you for your honesty. I just wanted to say that I think the work that you're doing with Good Lad Initiative is so necessary and needed. And I wish that it was a compulsory program for all men and boys around the world. But either way, I'm so, so glad that it exists. And I was just wondering if you could tell our listeners a bit about the work that Good Lad Initiative does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you as you sort of uh, indicated, we do most of our work with men and boys, people, well, people who identify as men and boys. And essentially, we're just trying to find ways of engaging them in the process of building better communities, in building mm-hmm. more equitable communities, in preventing sexual violence, um, and in trying to trying to create gender equality. What that work actually looks like up until COVID mm-hmm. uh, was these group interactive, very honest, very real discussions that we, we would have. Um, we would get people who knew each other quite well, whether that those are school kids in a classroom, whether it's people in a sports team or mm-hmm. in a student society at a university, or whether it's people in a workplace. And we would sit them down and essentially take them through this process from um, maybe the starting point where they're just unaware that this is a problem that's actually uh, you know, that, that sexual mm-hmm. violence still exists or that gender equality still exists. Or maybe they're quite defensive. They feel that these sorts of conversations are an attack on them as an individual. And, and we try to take them from that position to one where they actually explore the issues and explore some of the underlying dynamics and mm-hmm. power structures and, um, and hear perspectives uh, from other people. And then as individuals and as a group, really just have a discussion about mm-hmm. 
who they really would like to be, taking seriously mm. the consequences of that decision on themselves and mm. on others. And so do you do this in schools mostly? What's like the most common age bracket that you're having these, these conversations with? About half of our work is in schools. And there we're working with yeah. uh, boys above the ages, well, boys and young men above the ages of 12. I'd say the, the original creators of the, mm-hmm. the project that we run in schools chose that age group because it's the moment in which young men shift from being very much guided by their relationships with their parents or by or guardians or other sort of authority figures in their life and they're shifting massively across being influenced by their peers. And it's in this moment also that a lot of identity work is starting to go on. You know, you're going through adolescence and um, people are, are constructing who they are in relation mm-hmm. to other people and trying to come up with different understandings of who they are as, as individuals and as a group. And so absolutely there's there's huge huge inroads that can be made by breaking down stereotypes with younger younger age groups and then towards the end of that time you know in the senior years of school and also as people are in universities and Mm. uh, also in sports teams out of school we're working with people uh, and it's a slightly you know with men and boys on a slightly different conversation you know they've grown up a bit more they tend to be already with a bit stronger sense of who they are and they're, they're finding their way and actually yeah. how they want to act and, and lead and um, be part of like communities. So it's a, a slightly different conversation as you get to an older age group. Yeah, you were saying then that you tried to break down these kind of stereotypes that have already been rooted in these young boys. And I was wondering what are the most common misconceptions that you hear going into classrooms and, and speaking to young boys? Like what are the myths that you try to dismantle um, or the things that you hear come up most often? Yeah, very good question. And it's it's interesting that so many, I mean, there, there is a lot of variety there. A lot of the identities that people have and the myths that people have, not only about what it is to be a man, like not only like those strong expectations about what it is to be a, be a man, but often like what it is to be a particular sort of man. Mm. Um, and so you do see differences, like whether we're working with uh, a really working class community or whether there's like uh, we're working within a religious community. You, know, you, you can see some variation there. Yeah. But still, there are certain ideas, certain masculinities to, to use sort of the the technical term there, but there's these certain ideas about what it is to be a man yeah. and, and the values that we judge young men against, which are really prevalent in almost all these places, if not as like the top thing that people mm. are trying to trying to become, but definitely is something that they have to define themselves against. And right now I'm talking about really strong ideas, like what we might call like a man-up culture. Mm-hmm. So this is around men's identity as you know emotional identity i guess or almost like unemotional identity Mm. as people who don't need to feel things they can push through they can survive they're strong they're stoic you know you don't want to complain about things like you don't have those problems and this this comes in different variants depending on which communities we're talking to but it's really strong it's something that's a a big influence on on many um, young men uh, throughout the uk Another one is around, you'd sum it up as like a strong drive towards a certain sort of like promiscuous heteronormative sexuality. Yeah. And again, this, this comes in, in different forms. But there it's like this pressure or this idea that if you're a man who is able to sleep with a lot of women, well, if you're a man who's able to sleep with a lot of women, not only is that a good thing, but it, it's a real uh, way of proving that you're like a valid person, that you're a valuable person. It's how you get respect from your friends. Right. It's like proof that you're not this kid anymore, that you're a, you know, a proper man. 
And there's all sorts of discussions there around like the emphasis that society places on losing virginity as being like a rite of passage for young men. There's all sorts of ways that this pops up. Yeah. And right the way through to almost like the opposite end of the spectrum where for men who haven't had relationships with or sexual relationships with, with women or intimate relationships with women. Right. Then very much seeing themselves as being failures, as being rejects, as being unvaluable, as being unworthy. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the, um, the really negative aspects of this and dangerous aspects of this has been the growth of an incel culture where that's then been, which is like a little, if your listeners are not, are not aware about mm. it, it's a small pocket, a very small pocket really, of mainly men who've not only said, okay, we're not valuable and we're, we're worthless and there's a lot of self-hate there um, because we haven't had um, mm. relationships. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of hate of women mm. and of society. Would you say that's the more extreme end of the spectrum, though? Much more extreme. Much more extreme. Because that's for me, that's that's um, it kind of strikes me as this. Well, I like to think of it as a small fraction of the internet, not a thing that's like dominant in young schools and stuff. But I suppose is this something that you're seeing more and more offline? Um, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe it was too extreme to, to mention, but. No, it's definitely worth mentioning. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. It's more that the those same attitudes there around like, I'm not worthy as a person because I'm not having sex. Those sorts of things um, really play out in in the ways that young men talk to each other. Yeah. And the sorts of messages that a lot of young men have internalized about themselves, whether they're at schools or universities, sports teams, elsewhere. The best way that I can prove myself to my friends is by going along mm. with this behavior. And that type of pressure then manifests and it plays up in lots of different ways for lots of different people. It's it's also one of the drivers why some men feel compelled to just yell out at um, women walking past on the street yeah. to touch people. It's because they feel they feel they're entitled to. Because mm. why would there be such strong messages about this is the right thing to do if if it wasn't the right thing to do? And don't mm. we just understand that they're just trying to put themselves out there and flirt and mm-hmm. and make this connection? So it's just toxic dangerous message Mm. and toxic for them and toxic for others yeah i was i was just about to say when i was growing up and when i was at school we didn't use words like toxic masculinity or misogyny Mm. even um it was just this notion of like boys will be boys and that was the accepted thing but now you know we hear these words thrown around all the time i was wondering how you and good lad initiative approach the conversation surrounding toxic masculinity with young men and if it's something that you address in your workshops absolutely we address it in our workshops but pretty much absolutely we wouldn't use the term the idea and the concept is so crucial for understanding what's going on and it's and i I think i gave a pretty good demonstration of like the ways in which like an expectation of men um can then actually lead to really negative consequences for them and for others you know and that's that toxicity and it's also toxic in the way that it spreads between different people right like so much of this is driven by yeah, media expectations, but also by the mm-hmm. way in which like peers relate to each other, like friends talk to each other. But, you know, you can use another word, misogyny, like these sorts of words, like unfortunately are really misunderstood. Yes. And I think sort of purposely, you know, misconstrued or poorly conveyed by some people and have been seen and have come to be seen as being almost like fundamentally negative towards men. And so we're very careful about how we use those words um, and when we use those words, because for yeah. us, like it, really we see our, our part of the job is just like 
let's get people engaged in that first step and get them questioning. Totally. Um, and let's not switch people mm-hmm. off because we've used the word like misogyny. Yeah, but that's they're like sort of triggering buzzwords, I suppose, now. They really are for people, really. And yeah. they really, people really kind of rally against them. And I think so much of that is to do with the media and all of this kind of stuff. And so do you find that it's something which men are kind of actively pushing back on? And they're sort of words that, I mean, obviously no one wants to be associated with the word toxic masculinity or misogyny, but I suppose they are kind of buzzwords in themselves that are very triggering for people and maybe not super engaging either. Yeah, and, and I think that's where we, like our organisation has a role to play, right? In that we simply try to create spaces where people can hear those sorts of things or hear the ideas behind those words and those concepts and get triggered by them Mm. and be able to express like it's really it's completely natural reaction to when you find out that your view of the world actually is not the way that other people see it Mm -hmm. and not the way that other people experience it and you thought you were going about and your life and just behaving normally and that no one was really negatively affected or it was all fine and then you find out well actually there's a whole group of people who see the way that you behave and see your identity as being yeah, very negative and harmful for them. That's a tough thing to hear mm. and that's a it's really normal reaction, like a natural reaction. Um, uh, the most common reaction to, to reel against that and be like, whoa, come on, like this doesn't match up with what I heard before, right? And that can trigger all sorts of emotions. And um, I mean, I know this... Um, I know mm-hmm. this in whenever I get that sort of a, of a feedback. Um, you know, I also have those reactions. So our job there is just really to catch those people and be like, okay, this is, this is a critique of the way things have been, definitely. And maybe you see yourself as part of that. Maybe you don't. Um, and maybe you're frustrated because you're like, hey, it's not me. It's like it's the, the, you know, the three guys at the back of the class who are driving this, not me, I'm just like here. But what we do is say, okay, let's talk through this, understand where it's coming from, understand what those consequences are that other people face. A little bit of like, what is the lived experience of, of being on the other end of this? And then to be like, we don't need to dwell on that identity as being toxic. We don't need to get caught there. We can actually create a new identity well, you as a group and you as individuals create a new identity for yourselves as part of a, you know, a future world that doesn't have this toxic mm-hmm. masculinity, um, part of a future world that doesn't have like sexual harassment, um, sexual violence. You know, w- w- whatever that change is, just because you're part of the group, broadly speaking, who's mm. been critiqued, or maybe even just yeah. because you've done negative actions in the past, harmful actions in the past, doesn't mean that you can't also be part yeah. of uh, contributing to the work to make that change. Yeah, because there is this sort of automatic, I suppose, defensiveness and, and a wall that will come up if you try to challenge someone's behaviour, behaviour which they've never seen to be mm-hmm. wrong or harmful yeah. in any way. They've just seen it as normal. And I think maybe that's why there's been such a polarisation post-Me Too yeah. era. There's been a huge a huge polarisation around the issue and... Mm-hmm even you know from from many women as well as men um like cis straight men as well who've just said that you know it's gone too far or that they can't identify with with feminism anymore because it's just you know a sort of man-hating machine which is 
trying to tear the system down as, as they as they know it. And I suppose it comes from this place of feeling maybe threatened in some way of, of things changing or your worldview changing. But yeah, have you noticed this mm. this pattern in your work at all? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think the Me Too uh, impact was really seen in workplaces. That's where that conversation was, was huge. Yeah. And that's where a whole range of men have experienced this Me Too uh, conversation. Know, my perspective on it is that is that is definitely scary for people and we can provide spaces to you know acknowledge that pain that fear but really yeah ultimately the the message to come out was not that hey we're changing the rules what you did before was fine but now it's not fine yeah it was like no what happened before was really harmful toxic terrible behavior it's just that before people didn't have a voice to actually stand up for themselves and didn't have the opportunity to bring it up. And mm -hmm. um, if there's things that have gone unseen, unspoken about, unheard for, for a long time, most of the time it's because there's been like a silencing and mm. there hasn't been enough power given to the people mm. who were harmed by it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the backlash that I've heard and received through my work post Me Too has been this whole thing of like, oh, you know, well, it'll be the, the death of chivalry yeah. and flirtation and mm. can men just not approach women on the street anymore? Mm. And can you not have conversations with people at work anymore? Or can you not hug anymore? And all of this kind of mm. stuff. And I think for an issue which seems pretty straightforward to a lot of uh, women, mm -hmm. it caused a huge huge amount of confusion to straight men i guess it's why there's such a kind of polarization of the, of the issue because it's something which women have been saying like tirelessly mm. for years and years and years but just haven't really been listened to and then suddenly when all the men start listening they're like oh yeah what and they don't understand maybe what the distinctions are or what the rules yeah. are because everybody says it's such a gray area and it's just mm. not and it's not black and white and that's true it isn't it isn't black and white. Yeah. And that's why it's so confusing, I think, for a lot of people to get on board with. And I think when there is this confusion, some people say, oh, well, you know, I just can't win. Yeah. Anything, yeah. Everything everything I do is, is wrong. And it, I suppose, can inspire like a defeatist attitude in mm -hmm. some people. And then maybe that's just why there is a huge pushback. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right on, um, on all of that. Yeah, and, and I, like often it's a frustration of someone doing something that they thought. Uh, sorry, the backlash comes from a frustration of someone having really positive intentions, right? And doing what they thought was like going to be something welcoming yeah. or kind. And then um, having not done the work to understand how that actually might come across. Yeah. Um, you know, the classic one being like the quote unquote, like friendly compliment about someone's clothes or something like this in the workplace about a woman's clothing. And it's like, Okay, like, yeah, that's, let's, um, you know, let's just stick with their intentions of yeah. that was to make, like, the person feel more welcome and create, like, a friendly atmosphere, all these sorts of things. But, you know, there's yeah. a broader set of consequences, especially if, like, we're in the middle of this debate about Me Too, that come with that comment, you know, like, it's objectifying the person, it's taking intention away from their professionalism, um, they might not realise that you have good intentions, there might be power imbalances. Yeah so many different things i'm sure we could speak about for hours so i and but the other i, I think this gray zone is super interesting um and troubling as well and i i mean a lot of the work that we do is especially when we're speaking to um, young mm -hmm. men who are say 18 to 25 who you know when probably there's a larger percentage of that group who are um who are sexually active 
what's interesting there is like how people how often people are operating in that gray zone and yeah there's there's um mm-hmm. sometimes it's like boundaries and communication and it's difficult to 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 get across and um so you know a strong message here is like well let's let's just open up space like let's make it the aim to open up space for whichever our partner whoever our partner or partners are to actually say what they want as well as what they don't want and, yeah you know just just communicate with each other right mm, and remove totally. that awkwardness but i'm reminded of um something in uh, a really really powerful bit in um the bbc series uh, i may destroy you oh yeah incredible um, series incredible I, I i would say like huge content warning around it like i thought it was one of the most brilliant and impactful things i i saw but yeah, i was too. left crying at the end of most episodes yeah almost that that really ripped up inside emotional feeling you know where it brings up a lot yeah and yeah. deals with a lot yeah but there's the, the scene um where the main character you know, spoiler alert here but is in a in, in a support group for survivors mm-hmm. and just has um, i wish i could quote it for you but almost like a, a poem that she says about that that gray zone and essentially to say that mm-hmm. her experience was with men who have learnt how to stay in that grey zone, to tiptoe along that boundary, never quite crossing it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and to so that they yeah. can always deny they were trying to cross it, but also not doing the work of clarifying, mm-hmm. right? And you know, one of the one of the things that really hit home for me about that is that's like so many of the the messages that are given to to young men about how flirtation works and how approaching women's work women work i'm i'm being super um heteronormative here or like exclusively talking about hetero relationships and i think that series does a great job of um also looking at the ways in which men mm-hmm. sleep with men interact with each other but uh, yeah 100%. I, I do think it's like most strongly prevalent in you know a certain form of like hetero interactions where there's just this expectation that that's taught to straight cis men to just like gradually gradually push that limit you know like try with a flirty comment and then see if there's a reaction if it's a hand on the knee then what about if it moves you know it's it's this sort of just edging towards like figuring out where the boundary is and really just like pushing until someone says no mm-hmm. and it's um i mean i i found that scene really difficult because i um i could see well profound like so profound such a awesome way of expressing that and it also threw me back to so many of the conversations that i've been in growing up yeah. and also to so much of the way that um that i went about my relationship and you know so then there again i was like i mean unequivocally like on board with the message mm. and then also feeling that that sense of of shame about the way that i i'd operated previously and just related to to my partners so and it's yeah I just share that, like I, that emotion is so crucial for people to go yeah. through to get shook out of this sort of sense of complacency of not clarifying that gray zone. Mm, and again, mm-hmm. this is like a crucial part of that, the work that we do to be like, if you're worried about what's going to happen if you ask the question, you, know, you need to ask the question. Yes. Yeah. 
so anyway, I, I think I... Yeah, I, I, I agree with you completely. And I think it's, it's hardly surprising, really, when you think about it. There is so much confusion surrounding this grey zone because it's sort of the only messaging that we've been fed in the media, in films, in books, in TV for such a long time. Like this narrative of like, no, no, no. Like if eventually if you keep asking her, she'll say yes. You've seen it in like really popular mainstream Hollywood films, not even just Hollywood, like all around the world in all different cultures. There is this narrative of, mm. you know, if you keep mm-hmm. pestering, if you keep persisting, then eventually she'll say yes. And we've yeah. only really recently just started to break that down and say, you know, no, like, like really how many times do you need to hear the word no in order for you to get the message? Yeah. I just think yeah. that that's, that's actually going to take yeah. a really, really long time to stamp out that narrative of, mm-hmm. of the chase. Yeah, and it, it, this, it is a gamification of the way we treat each other and an objectification. I mean, you're chasing after something, right? Like it's, it's not that we're teaching... Um, you know, we're teaching people to sort of chase after a good comp- you know, a good conversation and a, a connection, and um, and then like a mutually constructed, uh, intimate situation. If everyone's on board, it's like, no, we're teaching one group of people that they should pursue something as an object. And like, listen, I, I don't want to paint like a, a completely horrible picture of of all kind of cultures among among men. There's like, it's really really great to see. Yeah. Um, even in the the ten years that I've been having, well, not quite ten years, but eight years, I've been having these um, these conversations. There's been a massive shift in awareness, a real opening up of masculinities and of sexuality. Um, in the sense that the whole social fabric that that engulfs sex and intimacy, um, and all the meanings and values and judgments and everything else you put on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's been, I feel, really positive shifts over the past eight years. In, in lots of ways, but still, in a lot of the spaces that we end up in, there's pretty recognisable mm-hmm. signs that there is a strong promoted idea of the chase, um, and it is being, you know, as sex is being like a bit of a game. Just as, as one example, just people sharing their scores, like how many people they've hooked up with, and sometimes doing it in terms that is pretty pretty shocking anyway that that sort of stuff it's it's often done in jest and done lightly and just a bit of fun you know quote unquote but Mm -hmm. it then has real implications to the way in which people actually behave and treat others yeah totally i mean i remember so clearly when i was when i was in high school and we were having sex education classes there was this one class that i really really remember Um, and we were educated like in single sex spaces and then our sex educator was telling us this was this story Mm -hmm. and showed us a picture of a girl wearing a really like like a dress like she was going out and the woman asked us oh you know like why is this what why do you think this Mm. this girl's wearing this dress what what do you think her intentions are and all this kind of stuff and all the girls in the room were like oh well you know i think she just looks she just thinks she looks really nice Mm. like she really likes that that dress she's probably just wants to have a really good night and she just likes likes the way that she looks and yeah she Mm. just you know she thinks it's fashionable Mm. or whatever and then the teacher said, oh, okay, well, you know, I showed this picture to the boys in, in the room next door and I asked them the exact same question. And their answer was, oh, look, she wants to get fucked. She's wearing that dress because she wants to sleep with people. It was like a sort of bodycon dress or something, but the, all of the reactions were like, she's wearing that dress because she wants to get laid and mm. she's attracting the attention and blah, 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 yeah. and all of this sort of stuff. And then the teacher told us, 
the boy's reaction and we were yeah. all genuinely horrified <laughs> just because we we couldn't believe that all of the boys that we were in the same class with were sitting in the other room thinking that if any of us wore a dress like that that's what they would be thinking mm. and i think that's st- like that story has just always really stuck with me because we were like 14, 15 at the time. And even at that age, we're, we're thinking, mm. you know, we're being educated together in the, in the same school and living alongside each other. But we're just thinking completely differently about this really crucial issue that we're all kind of maturing into. And yeah, yeah. it just always struck me as like a, a, a total a total way yeah. of just seeing seeing something completely differently. Um, yeah, I mean that that resonated a lot with with a lot of the conversations that we would have. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm if you don't mind, I, I want to know more about the the story. I, did you did you end up having any conversations with with boys that you were in school with? No, about this. Or? No, it's thing is, I think the way that it was done was really stupid because I think we should, we should have all been sitting mm. in the same room together. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the mm. our sex educator told the boys our reaction or you know vice versa and everything and yeah. that kind of instigated a conversation but ultimately it seems kind of pointless because those kind of conversations should be happening with everybody in the same room not separately and that's why i kind mm. of think there's still so many myths surrounding these kind of topics and but also I, I i don't think we really did bring it up with our male friends after the session i, I don't really remember it. i just remember being quite shocked in that session just thinking like oh my god all the boys in our class think of us as sexual objects when we yeah. just thought this top shop dress was really nice or something or something like that yeah um, yeah, yeah and i think from that from that point onwards it wasn't like we were challenging the issue it was more kind of like an awakening of like oh okay i'm now a sexual being you know it wasn't like oh this is wrong it was just like oh okay Mm. this is how people view me and i don't think i challenged that for a really long time Mm. until i really understood you know more about feminism and started my my project and the work that i do because it was just something which i accepted to be completely normal yeah but i can understand why that's like such a had like a huge uh, or a moment in your life that had such a huge impact on how you see things. It's really that massive dissonance in perspectives that, that is really, really important for, in my work, for young men to realise because it means that yeah. they can't use their own hypothetical reactions to a situation as a, a good sort of like indicator of how someone else might be feeling mm-hmm. in that situation because they're, you know, they're in such a vastly different world. Um, now, I think in a similar way that you know, what you've brought up is this fundamental difference in, in terms of um, how people understand um, women's own choices about what they're wearing right. you know, and, and all sorts of other things. There's just there's really different ways of yeah. um, that people are interpreting the, the signals that they're getting and, and the world that they're living in. It's really important that those lived experiences are, you know, are understood mm-hmm. by different yeah, people. definitely. So now this kind of leads me on perfectly to discuss our submitted story of sexual harassment, which has been sent in from a member of the Cheer Up Love community. And this story was sent in by Ananya. In a crowded train carriage opposite a group of boys no older than 12, one of them asked me what the next train station was. So I looked it up for them. As soon as I engaged with them, things escalated. Suddenly they surrounded the table where I was sitting They were saying sexist things and making crude gestures. One of them started massaging his genitals. I was scared and horrified. I tried to get past them, but they slapped my ass. I pushed the kid away and moved further down the carriage. Everyone could see what was happening, but no one did anything. 
They followed me and continued until they got off the train. I was so shaken and upset, not just because of being sexually harassed, but by because of how young these boys were. I couldn't stop crying. That's really horrible. Yeah. A really horrible story. So firstly, th- yeah, thank you, Ananya, for sending in that, that story. I, I picked the story because I, because I think that the work that you do with young men and boys, it's, it's just quite, it's quite relevant, I think. And I think for a lot of listeners, maybe the most shocking thing would be that, uh, the, that the boys are so young, you know, in the story, they're about 12 years old. But I'm also sure that for a lot mm. of people who have been victims of this kind of harassment, it might actually not be that surprising because it does it does start from a mm. from a really from a really young age and it certainly jogs my memory on several incidents that i've that i've had myself yeah i mean the the age of the boys um you know it's not completely like it's it's young and it, um but it's not completely shocking for me i think the mm. other the other key thing that that i think big explanation here is that there's a big group of them like <laughs> The, yeah. and and what's horrible is that that group is sort of feeding off each other's actions and validating it and heading in such a um yeah such a violent um direction and then i mean i think the other aspect here which is is really upsetting is that everyone saw mm-hmm. and no one's stepping in to do anything yeah no i was i was going to mention that the whole kind of total lack of bystander intervention Mm. And I, I think that's something which is so prevalent throughout society. Like it's it's it's, it's honestly so rare that somebody does intervene in these kind of situations because you know generally people just don't want to get involved, mm-hmm. or, or they think oh well you know maybe they know each other or maybe it's yeah. a you know as if that was the excuse for, <laughs> for this to happen. Exactly. I mean, even if you saw somebody in a, who was having a an argument in a relationship and it was you know you saw you saw some sort of d- domestic violence take place um, in public. A lot of people think, oh, I'm not going to get involved because it's someone else's relationship. You know, I, I don't want to get involved in their business. But, mm, you know, mm. is that any less of an excuse? No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think you, I, I also think the key thing around bystander intervention discussions, and, I, and I'm sure you speak to, um, speak to other people who are, you know, even more switched on to this than I am. But I think the key thing is that there's like actually many different ways that you can be involved. And I, I would say that a lot of people kind of have in their head that the only way they can get involved is if they put on their superhero mm, cape and mm-hmm. jump into the middle. But other things that can, um, anything really that can break that, that context and provide space for the person who's yeah. um, who's subject to the harassment to, to actually get themselves out of the situation. Or, and this is, if I'm, if I'm thinking here about... Um, context where you see see something going on you're like i think those people know each other or i think that couple knows each other but it looks pretty nasty to me doing something to create space where they the person who's who's um, facing the harassment or the violence is able to then make that choice to walk away and if it's that like actually you miss missing through the mm-hmm. situation from the outside and mm-hmm. you know, whatever you know they'll they'll go back into it and on mm-hmm. their own terms mm-hmm. but here it depends on the context, but just as the you know that group of attackers did, um, you can use something quite um, seemingly innocuous as a way to to actually enter into that conversation and break it. So simply asking, like, sorry, don't know where I you know don't know exactly which stop to get off at. Can you tell me whether this or that? Engage totally. engage that you know that group in that sort of a chat. 
or stepping in and um, obviously just just stepping in and being hey I think I think she needs more space in this in this context like um, do you know her what's going on you know great like anything that can just create oh, yeah. space is so vital yeah 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 totally I agree with you I mean I, I completely agree with what you were saying about um, this everyone kind of expects bystander intervention to be this sort of you know superhero move like sweeping in to to save the day and and often you know it's actually really ill-advised to ever kind of engage with the perpetrator in a sense um and if you you were going to intervene though your best bet would Mm. be you know speaking to the victim in the situation and just you know just checking in that they're okay and it doesn't even have to be a sort of thing like you know are you okay do you know them it could just be sort of like yeah Mm. as you said asking a really indirect question like what you know what's the next station or something just so you can create a a small barrier in between the escalation of situation of what's of what's going on and that that is also like that can be extremely scary for some people and especially in a society where we have been trained to not interact with each other to not speak to each other mm-hmm. um yeah you know it, it's it's extremely yeah. unusual for british people to interact at all in public spaces without strange looks and and all, and all of this stuff especially on public yeah. transport right? yeah like and you know this is this is again like it's a different conversation when you're in london than it might be uh you yeah. know in other parts of the country we have been taught um and are expected to disengage with each other and mm-hmm. um, not even to make eye contact with someone else in public space. So it's a huge ask um, for a lot of people to then be like, oh, I'm breaking all these social norms and mm-hmm. codes and mm-hmm. uh, oh my goodness, I might get judged if I, if I speak up here um, before they even get to the issue and before they even get to like any, any fears for their own physical safety or, or whatever else. Yeah. Um, there's huge barriers that people find and, and get past. Again, it's it's about yeah, that's tough in that moment, and it's difficult. Um, but it is such an important thing to do if you can. Yeah. For the, it could be something that turns a bad incident, and then stops it becoming a, a really horrible thing yeah. that sticks with someone for a long time. Yeah. And if you do step in, even in a small way, at, at least there's that reinforcement in in the person who's facing. Um, this harassment and this intimidation, they have something reinforced in their mind. They're like, okay, not everyone thought that was okay. I'm valid in recognizing that that was, exactly. that was just horrible. You know, I was wrong. I was, yeah, I was assaulted. I was harassed. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's also why people don't, I suppose, speak up about it in the moment or report things like that afterwards because if everyone else is witnessing something and staying silent about it, then you're like, well, maybe I was overreacting even in that situation to think mm-hmm. that it was that it was mm-hmm. something bad. It's, it can be a really crucial thing. Yeah, thank you so much, Nanya, for sending that in. And, and yeah, thank you for your, for your views and opinions on that, um, Dan. It's really insightful. So what's next for you and for Good Lad Initiative? Good questions. Um, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, we're really at this, at like a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a crucial moment in our history where yeah. um, we started as two projects, one in school, one in one in universities, and we've grown and we've developed, you know. And then uh, we've been you know, we've been really focused on um, gender equality, sexual violence prevention, and and now it's being challenged um, to well, it's our challenge to then also respond and think through um, how we can stay on mission around dealing with those mm-hmm. those really key issues and what we're set up to do, but doing it in a way that's actually 
reflective of of the needs of the people we work with and the communities we work with um, and is able to mm-hmm. incorporate these broader reflections um, without trying to do everything for everyone. Uh, we're, we've developed, a, I think, a really cool program for um, a young men who are part of football academies, the professional academies, um, and then mm. uh, we're now rolling that out to a broader group of people, uh, again, who are playing yeah, yeah, um, yeah. involved in football. Um, so a six-week uh, six program, which is kind of cool. Um, and we're also developing what we've called the uh, Anti-Patriarchy Boys mm-hmm. Club. Um, and, you know, and I think <laughs> it does what it says on the name, right? Um, um, which, again, like is um, we're, we're working there, well, two strands of it, um, that we're, we're developing and planning now. Uh, one working with uh, one working with youth clubs, um, and and the other one working with, I guess what I'd call like champions or like male allies who already exist within the schools that we work with. And in both cases, just taking people through this progression where they're thinking about themselves and who they would like to be, and but also thinking about their wider place in the world, and ultimately. Um, trying to, uh, for these young people, but also as an organisation as a whole, work out ways that we can convey the sorts of conversations that we have, convey those transformational moments and provide opportunities for for reflection outside of just these really small spaces of 20 people talking to each other um, and maybe even make a dint into the, the mainstream conversations and mainstream thinking around masculinities in the UK. Um, so that's that's where we're headed, um, and yeah, I um, I think it's going to be some really exciting times coming up um, as we try to work out. Uh, and I guess this is something that you've had to think through as well. But how do you create those transformational educational spaces in social media or online where you are in a less of a position, less of ability? to be able to recognise how someone's actually hearing what you're saying and kind of adjusting course, you know, and yeah, less of ability to kind of provide a firm but but compassionate um, opportunity for someone to change. Uh, and um, we all, again, it's exciting, challenging. I'm sure we'll have some missteps there. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'll, uh, we'll, we'll cop some, some trolling along the way. Um, yeah (laughs) it is to be expected and i hope i hope we can you know i hope we can affect change um in a really positive way um and a a way that recognizes the diversity of of the people we work with and in a way that um that is able to achieve transformation of the structures and systems in society that we work in without inflicting more harm on people on, along the way. And I'm thinking here particularly mm-hmm. about doing or saying things that are, that are trigger, triggering or harmful for survivors, you know, in particular uh, on conversations around violence against women and girls. And we have survivors who identify as men in a lot of our workshops. And there we take like quite a, let's, let's be honest about the impacts of our actions and the consequences of them type of aligned. And I do know that, that there are probably in a lot of the workshops that we work in yeah. um, young men who faced um, you know who faced violent violence at home already, and it's uh, 
I'm hopeful and very mindful that we're also providing safe spaces for people yeah. who are participants as well. Well, that sounds amazing. That all sounds yeah really really you. really positive and yeah I, I can't wait to see what you what you come up with this year and yeah thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak to me um i really really appreciate it where can people find your work online and offline and get involved if they want to yeah we've got a, a website which is uh com. Um, we also have social media accounts, but I, I've got to, got to be honest that um, during lockdown, we, we furloughed and um, the social media went a bit quiet. Mm. So um, that will be starting up again uh, in the next month. But okay. um, you can always look us up uh, Amazing. on those platforms as well. Awesome. Well, yeah, I will put those links in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, thank you again so much. It was a really, really, really great chat. Um, and yeah, I hope you enjoy the rest yeah, of the day. Thank you so much. And I, um, if you don't mind, I might, I might take that story of yours of the, of the classroom and the differences um, and use it sometime. I think it's really impactful. Oh, please. Yeah, it's all yours. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cheer Up Love podcast and a special thanks to my guests for coming on and to the members of the Cheer Up Love community for sending in your stories. If you would like to submit your story to the podcast then just DM us on Instagram or submit via our website. If you like what you've been listening to please subscribe and leave a review it would mean a lot. And also lastly an extra special thank you to Alex Grews who composed the wonderful music that you've been listening to. <laughs>